that's going to be the vast majority of these loans that are going to that are going to come due. But there's plenty of others, Matt, that are going to be in a world of pain. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, as always on these Wednesdays, we got Matt Jones. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How about you, Todd? I am doing good, man. Uh, just, you know, it's done raining. So we're good. Rain in, rain in January in Minnesota is just not that cool. No, uh, no, everything yeah. turns to mush and then freezes <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, at least it didn't get to like 30 below last night. Like mm. usually that's what it does, but now mm. we're all good. So man, um, just uh, trying to rock out the new year. We're working on a couple of deals. We might even get a deal um, purchased uh, this year. So we'll see. Uh, we're, we're working pretty hard. We've got some progress. We'll ha- we'll see what happens. Of course, uh, you don't. I'd never count a deal as a closed transaction until it's closed. So, uh, but we've got some exciting stuff in the works. Um, we've got a, a property we're looking to to sell as well. Uh, or that that one's one without investors. So. Uh, but we're looking to potentially sell that one. Uh, we do have it under contract. So again, never count a property closed until it's closed. So we'll see what happens. I think there's still plenty of opportunity for it to not close. Uh, but we'll see. So exciting uh, start of 2023. I always hate to have a year start out slow and um, we're starting off right so far. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I expect the year to be uh, interesting, maybe weird, but uh, granted, the past few years, everyone has been interesting and weird. So uh, more par for the course, I suppose. Yeah, par for the course. I mean, when was the last time a year hasn't been weird or (laughs) unexpected, right? I mean, yeah, it just it just happens every time we could go through the list of year over year over year where, you know, whatever is expected to happen, it doesn't happen. So no matter what we say, it seems like it's something different happens, but it doesn't may it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have, you know, maybe predictions or uh, I guess more or less just really awareness to understand things that could happen to be. I think it's always imp- really important to have your own kind of thesis and just just thoughts about what the market what's going on and how you can prepare yourself for potential opportunities that are had potential uh waves that might come crashing in all that kind of stuff and and knowing that a lot of times it might not happen right uh i i remember and i think it was 20 18, um, or maybe it was 2019, we all expected a recession to happen and it didn't happen. Uh, well, it kind of did because COVID caused a very, very short lived uh, recession, but you know, we all know what happened. We bounced back quickly. And so anyways, regardless, we're always expecting something to happen. A lot of times it doesn't, but it's just good to be prepared and be aware and understand what's happening in the markets around you. Yeah, exactly. And none of us have a crystal ball to see exactly what the future will hold. But uh, uh, what do you expect, though, the biggest real estate challenges investors will face in 2023? Yeah, so I think there's a couple things uh, that should be on kind of everybody's radar. Obviously, interest rates are first and foremost, you know, interest rates 
have been climbing uh, and, and are still climbing. Uh, well, Fed fund rate is climbing uh, and still likely climbing. Most people are expecting a 25 basis point jump here in, uh, in just, just a few weeks to be announced or just, you know, just like a week to be announced um, and potentially see another, you know, 25 to 50 basis points on top of that throughout the year. And who knows? And maybe more depends on what inflation data comes in, I think. Uh, and, you know, the Fed really has this, hey, we want to get inflation back to 2%. And we're going to do every, everything we can to get inflation back down to 2%. And uh, so I think they're just going to continue to push those, push those buttons. Uh, so with that said, you know, mortgage rates are, you know, at highest levels we've seen since the Great Recession, uh, which, quite frankly, they're still not that high. Uh, but they are, you know, when you look back at history, Matt, you can say, oh, these rates are nothing, but can, you can't really compare these rates to history. You have to compare these rates to modern times. And so that's, that's what we got to be looking at is I, I do agree when people say, well, these rates are nowhere near high. Look at back in, you know, 2007, six, look back in uh, 1980s, you know, uh, 1990s. Well, okay, but that's not reality, right? How many people have a mortgage that was, that's still around, that was underwritten in 1980, you know, 19, 1985? You know, when you look at what those interest rates were comparing them to, nobody has a, a mortgage from them. They've refinanced, they've sold the property. They, it, you know, they've paid the mortgage off, whatever it might be. They just don't have the mortgage from that time. So we're comparing mortgages from the last decade to today. And we're going, wow, these rates are really high. They've gone way, way up. And so that, and that's reality. Pricing has been built in to these interest rates. They've been the, the lower interest rates. They've been around long enough. Yeah, exactly. The comparable rates in the 1980s when interest rates were high. I mean, the, you know, the, the purchase price was much lower then in, in uh, you know, dollar, you know, from then to now. And so, it, and other circumstances as well. So it's not equivocal. No, no. Yep. Uh, like I said, pricing has been priced into low, low interest rates. And so that's what we have. So certainly that's going to cause some disruption, Matt. Uh, I think there's going to be some opportunities to be had. Uh, there's a couple things, you know, so it's a lot of, 50, almost almost 50% of, of new loans are floating rate loans in commercial real estate. So float by floating rate, it doesn't necessarily mean bridge debt. It could be an agency debt, could be live companies, but it's floating rate. Okay. Meaning that rate is going to reset a lot. Most of the time that rate is based on, you know, SOFR or some, something like that. Okay. So it's based on a, you're saying, hey, you're paying 3% over sulfur, you're paying 1%, whatever it might be, but you're paying a certain price over a, a specific rate. And every time the rates go up, your rate goes up. And so you're floating. So 50% of these are based on that. Now, a lot of people, a lot of lenders said, you can have this floating rate, but we're going to require you to buy a rate cap. Now, the rate cap's no big deal when the rate cap is cheap. And so you're able to buy the rate cap at a very 
affordable price. So maybe your rate cap, cap costed you $50,000. Well, that same rate cap that maybe costed you $50,000 you know, three years ago when you locked it in, and now it's resetting, all of a sudden, instead of $50,000, that's going to cost you $600,000 for that same rate cap to get the same deal as before. So either your rate cap is going to have to go up or sorry, your rate is going to have to go up drastically to get your rate cap dollar amount down, or you're going to have to spend that money. Okay. So that's definitely a big deal. The other thing is we've got, uh, I believe it's a trillion dollars worth of loans that are expiring in 2023 and into early part of 2024. So in the, into the next year, over the next year. Um, now, a lot of those, and the vast majority, by the way, are going to be just fine, Matt. You know, uh, you bought a property in, you know, 2015 or 20, 2016, and you had, it, you had it locked for seven years. You're fine. No big deal, right? You've paid off a bunch of, a bunch of your principal. Um, sure, you locked it in for a better rate, but your cash flow has gone up a lot. Your basis is low. Like you're, do, you're doing just fine. You might not be able to refinance it, pull out a bunch of money, but you're doing just fine. Sure, certainly your cash flow is going to get hurt a little bit, but if you've done good management, raised a rate, raised rents like you likely have, you're either going to sell the thing and take your profit, or you're just going to go, hey, whatever. My cash flow is going to get hurt. We'll just refinance it in two, three, four, five years when rates go down. No big deal. Okay, so that that's going to be the vast majority of these loans that are going to that are going to come due. But there's plenty others, Matt, that are going to be in a world of pain, or potentially. And so, what I think is going to have to happen is there's going to be new equity that's going to have to float into the market. Now, it might be the current equity is going to bring more equity. So, a capital call, current equity is going to bring more equity into the deals. So sponsors are going to do capital calls. Private equity firms are going to do capital calls. You know, people are going to be doing capital calls. And I think there's going to be a decent amount of that happening. But then you've got less experienced, you know, syndicators, less experienced groups that just don't have the bandwidth to do a capital call or they, you know, maybe they stretch to get this deal in the first place let's call it a group of doctors. I don't know if I'm, why I'm picking on doctors, but a group of doctors and they bought this property and they had to put, you know, $4 million down and that they stretched to get that done. And now they got to bring another million dollars or half a million to the table. And I crap, we don't have that money because we stretched already to get this deal done, you know? So I think there's going to be some of that where new equity is going to come in and have to replace that. So that, if, for instance, that group of doctor is going to now have to reach out to their doctor friends or their buddies and say, hey, do you want to partner with us? We'll give you some equity. Um, just partner with us. And, you know, we need 500K. So can you bring in 500K into this deal or two or three people bring in 500K? And we'll, hey, we'll give you for that. We'll give you 10% of the equity. And they're, so they're going to have to give something up or a syndication might say, dude, we can't come up with this money. What are we going to do? You know, um, we got to get new money into this deal. Uh, we can't get to a capital call because our capital or our, our investors say no. And so then a group's going to come in. So I think there's opportunity for that. If, 
if you have a, a good uh, network to be able to get into some other other deals uh, and bring new equity into these deals. Of course, there has to be enough meat on the deal in order for that to happen. Yeah, exactly. And you know, speaking of loans as well, uh, you know, bridge loans have been pretty popular these past few years. But uh, well, and th- those know, are the big loan that I'm talking about, right. Matt. I mean, it, though, I think a lot of those are going to be the ones that are going to have some trouble. But uh, I hear that getting into new bridge loans is a little more tricky now. Hundred uh, percent, and, and it's it's riskier, right? Because we don't know where rates are going. The indication is that they're going to go up. Um, you know, how much are they going to go up? Your loan cap is your your rate cap. Sorry, is going to be uh, really expensive. Like we already talked about, most bridge lenders are going to require you to buy one, and so you're spending you know one million dollars, let's call it on a, on a rate cap or half a million, whatever it might be, but you're going to spend a bunch of money on a rate cap. Your interest rate is going to be really high. You're going to have to get low leverage, no more 80% LTV, you know, type of thing or LTC, no more 80%. You know, you're, you're probably looking at like 60 to 70%, you know, so unless you're really, really well qualified buyer with a really solid business plan, but it's just much more difficult and there's just less, a lot less money chasing those, especially the mid-sized deals. So 10 million and under, there's just a lot less money chasing those. So since you have to put more money down into a, a purchase, your the returns are naturally going to be less. Well, so we've got something interesting, Matt. We've got what's called negative leverage. And negative leverage is really, we haven't seen that. Um, and what that is... Uh, I should say we haven't seen, we haven't seen in a long time. What negative leverage is, is that your cap rate is lower than your interest rate. Okay. So when you're, when you're buying on a cap rate lower than your interest rate, that means every dollar of debt you put onto the property actually decreases your ROI. So the more leverage you put on, the worse your ROI ends up being. So actually purchasing with cash, with all cash, ends up yielding you the best. Now that's just in a straight transaction, Matt. No, that's not including a value add where you can increase the value and potentially then re, basically be repositioning due to a positive leverage debt. But you know, if you're if you're buying a property at a, a four cap or a four and a half cap and you're putting you know, five and a half percent interest rate, you've got negative leverage there. And, uh, and that's something unique. Now, there, it's not that you shouldn't do those deals. You just have to be aware of what you're doing on those deals and, and make sure you're setting yourself up the right way. And, and a value add can be the right way to do it, potentially. Potentially, you got to be careful. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what your you know, business plan is, what your goals are and stuff. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, overall general uh, leverage uh, is less. And so, so your potential returns based on that leverage is going to, is definitely going to be less. And so being able to get a, you know, look, the market was behaving extremely well, extremely well. And so if you bought something and sold it between, you know, or bought something and sold it in 2022 or before you likely were able to get a minimum of a 15 IRR, all the way up into the, the 20s and maybe even 30s or potentially more depending on exactly what happened and what market you're in. But a lot of deals were making investors 20% IRR 
uh, returns, which is really dang attractive. And I don't think that's going to continue, or I shouldn't say it's not going to continue, but it's going to be a lot more challenging right now, um, at least to project it. Certainly could it happen, but man, I have a tough time thinking we, we can be projecting much rent growth. Um, we have to certainly project inflationary growth on an expense side, um, and we have to do low, low leverage debt. So we're looking at you know, 60, 65% LTV in most deals. And when there's minimal rent growth, uh, you know, the way to add, you know, easy way to add value is to decrease expenses whenever possible. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So, so, it'll, uh, so that's kind of a little bit on the, the real estate side. I think uh, rents, when we talk about rents, I think rents uh, depending on the markets you're in are going to be lower. Now, there's going to be some markets, certainly, that are going to see nice rent growth. I mean, the, the markets I'm in are projected to see pretty handsome rent growth still in 2023. I mean, the, the, all the markets I've in are seeing 5% plus rent growth right now and are expected to continue to see that. Um, but there's other markets that are seeing negative rent growth. You know, Phoenix, Arizona, Las Vegas, we already talked about those, Sacramento. Those three ended the year as, as a negative Sacramento was negative uh, 3%. Las Vegas and Phoenix were negative 2%. Minneapolis, the market we're in, was 0.4%. So they ended up with a positive, whoop did freaking do, 0.4%. But what's interesting is we actually have to dive in even deeper. And we can say Phoenix, Arizona went negative 2%, but what did the submarkets do? Now, I don't have those statistics, but Minneapolis, I do. Minneapolis ended up at 0.4% rent growth. St. Paul was at 0.3% rent growth. However, some submarkets, most submarkets, most sub suburbs ended up much, much better. And so depending on the suburb you're in, you ranged anywhere from 2% all the way up to 8% in the Twin Cities. Um, the only submarket that I saw with worse than Minneapolis St. Paul, interestingly enough, is a very good submarket. Woodbury. And uh, the, re the only reason why is because they had a large amount of building that took place. Mm. So, so it's very submarket dependent. And I would imagine the same stories to be said in Phoenix, the same stories as be said in you know, Austin, Texas, that saw uh, pretty, pretty poor rent growth in 2022, or sorry, yeah, 2022, especially now they're seeing a, a big negative rent growth. And that trend is looking like it'll probably continue. So I think 2023 overall, we're going to see pretty slow rent growth. I think there's going to be a decent amount of markets. And quite frankly, I think they're going to be mostly in the Sun Belt um, that are going to see negative rent growth in 2023. I know that's contradictory. I know that most people probably will disagree with me, but those markets have had such big run-ups that I think they are poised for a downturn. However, I do think they're very most of these markets that are going to see the negatives are probably going to be the strongest markets into the future. They just are going to see a year or two of negative rent growth. And you got to be careful in those markets. Yeah. I mean, real estate is a long-term thing. You can't just plan on you know, it being for the short term only. Yeah. Uh, so I, I am expecting 
prices to come down a bit. You know, they, they've started to come back a little bit. I expect them to come back. You know, granted, you know, I don't know exactly what that is going to look like. Um, but uh, if you're buying, you know, you're going to want to negotiate a little more. If you're selling, you, you know, you want to do your best to get the, as much price as you can. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with pricing. I agree with you. I think that pricing will continue to come down. It already has to come down quite a bit. Um, but I consider I would consider that it's going to continue to come down maybe another 10 to 20%, depending on your market you're in, and maybe more, maybe less. But um, I think that's going to continue to come down. And, and I think a lot of it's going to depend on how sticky these interest rates are. Um, if interest rates, if the Fed you know, goes up 25 basis points or 50 basis points uh, right now and continues. And that stays through, especially if it stays through the summer into and all the way through 2023, I think definitely we're going to see these uh, prices drop. I think right now, a lot of owners are expecting, are expecting this to go down, expecting rates to go down. And so they're holding on because they think, hey, if rates go down, my price is going to go up, which they're they're 100% accurate. Um, and so I think a lot of potential sellers are just holding on. I think that the other thing that's going to affect pricing, Matt, is just how much distress are we going to see? You know, how many how many owners absolutely have to sell? How many how many of these owners that you know out of the 50% that have loans, you know, that are floating right? How many of those have to sell? How many of the, the trillion dollars worth of loans coming due are going to have to sell? Um, you know, I think a lot depends on the have to versus the I'd like to. Yeah. And I'm also anticipating uh, raising capital to, to get a little trickier this year as well. 100%. Yeah. Raising capital will definitely be more difficult. Uh, it's always going to be fairly, fairly easy to raise from investors that have uh can write a million dollar plus check you know they're going to still be out there they understand that this is an opportunity um but i think that those that are writing fifty thousand dollar checks or a hundred thousand dollar checks they get nervous quicker and they respond to opportunity slower in general of course there's some very sophisticated Fifty to one hundred thousand dollars investors uh, that understand the opportunities and are going to invest, but for the most part, I think that 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 generally, you know, let's say that's your entire network base. You know, you're probably going to lose. I don't know. I don't know what the statistic is. I guess I'll find out because that is my network base. But you're probably going to lose fifty percent. We're counting on fifty percent or more. Not well, lose, but temporary hold, right? Yeah, I know this uh, inverse of the market. When when prices are high, it's easy to get money. When prices are low, it's harder to get money. Yep, yep. So after all these years of your own investing, uh, what are some challenges that have continued to plague you, uh, you know, even now? Yeah, so, I mean, it's there, there's, there's a couple things. Uh, I, I'd say first, it's on that money and the deal side. We're always at a, at a fight in that relationship. You know, we're, we're either finding too many deals and don't have enough money or have too much money and not enough deals. And we've had too much money and not enough deals. Um, but again, if that changes, if the market softens, we're probably going to have too many deals, not enough money. And so we're always fighting that. We're always, we're always looking for more investors. I think the money side 
is the one I can control more, right? Building more relationships, talking with more investors, improving our track record, all that kind of stuff. The deal side, certainly we can improve upon as well by building those relationships and getting the deals. But that's also a little bit, I guess both of them are a little bit dependent on the market, right? So so we're, we're doing everything we can to, to build both of those uh, up. Um, I think one thing that I have struggled with and now bringing my, my business partners in has really helped uh, I have struggled with the systems and the, the, the organizational aspects. I love organization. I love systems. I think they're so important, but my brain says, I, oh yeah, I got to get some systems and processes and things in place. And then seven years later, I'm like, I got to get those systems and processes and things in place. I talked about seven years ago, you know, so having, you know, my, especially Matt, my my business partner, Matt, I mean, he, that's just his thing and he loves it. He's good at it. And so he puts those things together and it's like, dude, this is amazing. It helps me keep, stay so much more organized. So I think, you know, for me having that on my side has been just instrumental. And I wouldn't say I'm the most, I'm not, I'm not this like super disorganized guy, but uh, I, I thrive on having systems. I also thrive on chaos, but, um, but there's gotta be some, there's gotta be some, like, I don't, I don't know how to put it, but chaos can't just be chaos, right? It, it has to be some organization to your chaos. And so having, you know, Matt organizing my chaos. And so it, it's in a, it's actually in a place has been instrumental. So, but I still struggle with that. Um, but I think that's just who I am. I, I have to have a certain amount of chaos in my life. Yeah. I mean, in a sense though, like, uh, having some chaos, you know, even with ADHD, that, that can be to your advantage too, uh, to be able to like focus on different things and, and switch, switch roles and tasks and things. So, uh, yeah. And, and that's definitely a struggle. I've said it before, like I, I've never been tested for ADHD, but the, uh, zero chance I don't. I mean, I, I have it. I'm, I'm totally ADHD. Um, I mean, before I, my wife would joke around with me as when she was my girlfriend, like she, she called me ADHD, ADHD boy all the time. Um, so, but for me, it's like, I just, I can allow myself to get really distracted if I don't have some of that organization. So that's always things I'm trying to, okay, how do I work on that? And, and I've done a lot of implemented a lot of things to kind of keep my brain on task and uh, always just continue to struggle with it though. And, and just, it's just always a work in progress. I think. Um, Trying to think if there's anything else in the business that, you know, we're kind of, or, or, you know, what I'm still struggling on today. Um, but I think those are kind of the main, you know, probably the main things. There, certainly there's, def, there's definitely other things. We're always trying to improve. We're always trying to be better than what we were the day before. I mean, that's, that's really important. We're always not taking for granted what we've achieved and assuming that what we've achieved is somehow going to continue to, going to continue without our continuous effort, right, in, in improvement. And so I think that's really valuable that we just, we don't take for granted that we've achieved something in the past. What's so going to come to us in the future. It's continual hard work. And, and then even with these acquisitions and, you know, yeah, we've built this company and it's there, but we can't take for granted that 
everything's going to work perfectly. So we have to make sure that we're continuing to push forward, continue to challenge ourselves to improve ourselves um, and continue to just try to be the best we can be at, at what we're doing. Very so, good. Uh, the, the other thing I would say, Matt, for, for me is like, I, and I've worked on this a lot over the last several years and shoot, I've worked on this a lot for like the last decade plus, but I, I'm good at a lot of things. And when, when, if you become good at a lot of things, you start to become not good at anything. And so I've really tried to focus on the things that I'm really passionate about. And that I feel like I'm maybe the best at. And some of the things that I maybe focus on, I'm maybe not the best at, but I'm becoming the best at. And, but that's what I really, really enjoy doing. Right. And so that's something that I've really, and, and, and Duras in general. And, and so we've just really tried to focus on what our roles are. And it's so easy because I've done everything in real estate, right? I've, I've, I've been the only person on the GP side. And so I'm finding the deal. I'm underwriting the deal. I'm getting the investors. I'm, I'm getting a loan. I'm, I'm doing the whole thing. I asset manager, everything. And so it's easy to like try to be this control freak. Um, but man, it, you can go, so you're going to go so much faster, so much farther, faster. If you're not a control freak and you allow yourself to give some of those other things up. Uh, and so that's definitely something I struggle, continue to struggle with and just are trying, trying to prove upon and, and just be the best at just one or two areas versus be, be good at everything. So. Yeah, I agree. The more you can niche down in real estate and become the best at that, uh, the more value you can add to other people at the same time, yeah. the more money you can make. Yeah. Matt, how about you? What, what are you still struggling with today? And what are you, or what are you working on? Uh, the thing I'm working on most is increasing my capital raising skills. So, you know, I'm going to a, a conference uh, in Kentucky specifically on that. Uh, and, um, you know, I've raised a little bit of capital so far, so I know I can do it, uh, but it's just a matter of getting those systems in place and building my network more. So that's really my big focus of 2023 is, you know, building my network of uh, people who I can help to passively invest into real estate. Yep. I think one of the things that a lot of people focus on when they're capital raising is their systems. I don't think that's important. I mean, certainly it, it's valuable, but it's, it's definitely not that important to have systems in place when you're trying to grow your investor database. Now, again, that, that's not entirely accurate because you do want to weigh a CRM. You do want a way to track your, contacts and you do want a way to communicate with your contacts. But I think too many people worry too much about all the bells and whistles and systems and trying to get everything perfect and not think about how am I actually connecting with investors? How am I actually raising capital from them? How am I providing value to them? How am I communicating with them? Like that I got to, I have to have investors in order to need the systems. Right. So that's something that I think a lot of people, especially analytical people want to get all the puzzle pieces in place and they focus so much on that. They spend a lot of time and energy on that, but they forget to spend the time and energy on their relationships. And that's what capital building capital raising is all about. 
It's all about the relationships. It's all about getting people to know, like, and trust you to want to take advantage of the opportunities you're putting in front of them because they see that as an opportunity. And the other thing I'm working on is a consistency of my efforts. You know, I, I can work really hard and, and like big, make a big push, but then, you know, I lose steam and then I got to get going again. And then, you know, make another big push to make progress. Uh, so, you know, instead of making these, uh, you know, spurts and, and bouts, you know, just keep on chugging away consistently yeah. throughout. Yeah. Love it. Love it. That's yeah. So, so easy to, to do what you, what you said. So cool. Um, Awesome, man. Uh, I don't have anything else. What, how about you? Uh, nothing else. I'm just looking forward to a great year. Sweet. Well, Matt, you have a fantastic race today. Make every day Saturday. Thanks. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So, uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So, go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com, and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So, I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free, I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.